right, so did you get all that? <laughs> all the many um, ways that the Bible uses the word peace. Um, if you didn't, that's okay. You can just have to um, look on BibleProject.com. That's where we get these wonderful videos. So um, I started thinking about all the ways that we use this word peace, even in our own society. So the Bible uses it in many ways. But I was thinking about all the ways that we use it. So just thinking about how oftentimes we use it as a way to describe a place that is quiet or still, right? Um, that it's, it's peaceful. Uh, I also thought that we um, use it sometimes as a way to say goodbye, right? Peace. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that my youngest daughter here is, isn't here, so she would be so humiliated in my lameness. Um, there's also, I wasn't around in the 60s, but I think the idea of this piece is kind of like it's groovy, it's all good, whatever, right, peace. Um, then also kind of just a time without war. And most of those ways that we use that word it really miss the complex biblical meaning of the word peace or the Hebrew word shalom. So how do you use the word peace in your own life? It's important for us to have kind of a full picture of this word if we want to be followers of Jesus that are peacemakers. And that is something that Jesus calls us to be like him, a peacemaker. And so for me, I realized that I needed to broaden my idea of that word peace, that it was limited my understanding. When we first moved to New York City uh, many years ago, and I had an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old. And so we, um, we had lived in the city. We were in um, Cincinnati, Ohio, and I thought we were city people. Um, but yes, I know, you guys. Cincinnati's a little smaller. But... Um, so I realized because we, we weren't quite prepared, or our daughters weren't quite prepared for some of the cultural differences they found when they um, went to school in this neighborhood. So the older two girls, very early on, we started getting feedback from their teachers um, at, at different schools, different teachers, but we were getting this feedback that we needed to teach our daughters how to stand up for themselves. And they told us that as New Yorkers, these kids are taught how to stand up for themselves, how to voice when someone else's behavior is not acceptable. And so I realized at that time that I felt confident in many ways of, of things that I could teach my daughters, but I did not feel confident about how to teach my daughters how to stand up for themselves because I hadn't ever learned how to stand up for myself. Because at the time, I remember thinking, I wasn't taught that because I was taught to be a peacemaker. And I thought that those two things were in conflict. You know, in my home, um, we talked a lot. I, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, and my, I would say that my family are very peaceful people. Um, and so I, I remember very frequently being taught and reminded of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount where he said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek, or um, if, some sues, if someone sues you to take your shirt, you hand them your coat as well. And then another thing we were reminded of regularly is the proverb that says, a soft voice turns away anger, right? Probably because we were yelling at each other as kids. But um, we were taught to be at peace with one another. And so that is what I thought being a peacemaker was all about, and it's how I taught my daughters to be peacemakers as well. 
And so I didn't really know how to have boundaries for myself and for others. Um, I let them cross boundaries um, that perhaps I shouldn't have, um, standing up for myself and saying, your behavior is not acceptable. And so as I become an adult, I have a hard time. What I think of as peace is keeping everybody happy, right? Not upsetting anybody. And so um, what that means for me is I have a hard time saying anything that might upset somebody. So a waiter asks me if my food is okay, there's a hair in it, and I'm like, yeah, it's great. I'll just kind of scoot that over to the side, you know, no problem. Or, you know, I'm getting my hair cut, and I hate it as it's getting cut. And she's cutting way more than she should, and she's like, what do you think? I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, it's great, because I don't want to upset her, right? I just want to be a peaceful person. And um, I realized early on when I got here, that wasn't going to fly in New York City. I'm still struggling, um, because we need to learn to have a way to stand up and say, voice our opinions, um, voice when things aren't acceptable for us. And so I can't take credit for the fact that my youngest daughter, Clara, nobody has ever given me feedback that she can't stand up for herself. <laughs> um, and I can't take credit for that. She just came into this world like that. And I think there are many things that God wants to teach me through being Clara's mother. And one of them is to watch her speak up for herself um, and, and see it as a good thing in many cases. So if peace means for us that we never rock the boat, that we never upset anybody or cause any conflict, then it isn't okay for you to speak up for yourself or to speak up for other people. But what we learned in this video is that that is oftentimes false peace, right? Just keeping it the way it is, is false peace. It isn't true peace, because true peace is about wholeness. And so if shalom, this word that has such deep meaning, if it is about universal flourishing, so this wholeness between our relationship between man and God, and, and a whole relationship between all of mankind from all of us, that we are whole with one another in our relationship. We have wholeness in our relationship between mankind and creation. That is shalom. And it's the piece that we see in the very beginning when we look at the creation of the world in Genesis. It is that perfect whole relationship between God and man and between Adam and Eve and a perfect relationship that they have with creation. And of course, all of that is broken with sin, but we see that we return to that at the end of the Bible, the last chapter, or the last book of the Bible in Revelation, where it says that all of those broken things are going to be restored when Jesus returns. And that is what we wait for. But until that time, along with longing for Jesus' return and wanting for him to arrive soon, we work to prepare the way. And that means that we fix things that are broken that that is the work of justice, and that is a part of being peacemakers, that we um, fix what is broken. And what that means is sometimes we have to be disruptive. And that's a different view than I had about being peacemakers. It means that we draw attention to what is broken, and we say this is not acceptable, that it must be fixed, that it must be whole. That is true peacemaking. And 
sometimes we have to rock the boat. Sometimes people will be upset by it. So all we have to do is kind of look to the um, shalom makers in the Old Testament, the prophets, that was their job to go around and say, these things are broken. We have to fix them. And they said about how the relationship with between God and man were broken, and so they were disruptors. We see that example over and over again of the prophets. Take, for example, the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah um, was uh, a prophet during um, the time of about 600 B.C., and he was a prophet in the kingdom of Judah. So if you can remember, way back into the spring, we talked about King Josiah. And King Josiah was this great king because he kind of returned to the right way of being in relationship with God. So if you remember, Hulda, our um, woman that we knew, that she was able to uh, authenticate the, the law that they found. And so they decided, let's return to this way of relating to God. And so... Um, Josiah did that with the whole kingdom of Judah. The problem is we learned that very soon after that, the kings um, returned to their old ways. And at this point, um, there are all these other empires that are getting stronger and stronger than the kingdom of Judah at this time. So you have the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Egyptian Empire, and all of them are just kind of warring with each other. And poor little, uh, you know, the kingdom of Judah, they're weak, and so they just want to stay out of war with all of these people. And so they just keep kind of making alliances with different ones, and then they'll set up a puppet king. And so they go through them one after another, these short little reigns, and really they're just trying to keep their kingdom together, right? They get to keep their, cap their capital of Jerusalem, they get to keep their temple, and these, this idea that they have their own kingdom. But really, they're not in the right relationship with God that God wants them to have. And some people are doing okay, but a lot of people are really suffering. And so that is where Jeremiah is, um, during his time that he is called to be a prophet and say the things that are broken. And so he is um, calling out people and saying, look at the broken systems. So we're, it's a very long book. It's, I, I believe the longest book in the Bible is um, Jeremiah. So we're just going to look at a few verses in uh, chapter 6 of Jeremiah. So this is what Jeremiah says. He says, to whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. And then he says, but I can't hold it in. He says, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, they all practice deceit. And this is what he says. It's so important. He says, they dress the wounds of my people, my people, as though it were not serious. And they say, shalom, shalom. But there is no shalom. And what Jeremiah is saying here is, yeah, these people don't want to hear what is broken because they're doing all right. And so even the religious leaders are kind of dressing it up and saying, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Look away, right? We don't have to worry about that. And Jeremiah is saying, I can't. I can't look away. You say this is peace, but this is not peace. It is not peace when we are not right with God. There is not peace when some are flourishing, 
but others are suffering. And it just reminded me, um, last week I was looking at a blog post um, of Parker Palmer. He is a professor and um, writer, uh, contemplative Quaker, in fact, uh, who has been writing a lot these days about broken systems in our society, and especially to do with um, refugees and immigrants in America and how our systems of oppression are broken. And so he wrote in his blog post about a response, a comment he had gotten on one of his um, blog posts of calling out th the brokenness of the system. And I, I try to make it a rule to not read comments, and I suggest that for all of you who want to be peacemakers. <laughs> um, but evidently he reads, and sometimes I break it and I always go, oh, I shouldn't read the comments. I know not to read the comments, but he reads his comments. Um, and this is what he said. Somebody commented on um, his article. He said, I'm tired, or she said, I'm tired of hearing you wring your hands about how much of a crisis we're in when my husband's and my earnings are going up so that we can afford to live more fully now. And um, I don't want to completely throw this woman under the bus. Um, he, you know, said, I'm glad, I'm happy for you. I truly am. But this is not peace. This is not shalom where some of us are flourishing and others are suffering. And I think we all want to do that. We might not be willing to put that out there on the Internet, maybe say it out loud, but all of us kind of want to say, we're good. Aren't we good if we're good? And it's hard, but Jeremiah says, I can't hold it in. This is not true shalom. So last week we talked about how during Advent, these four weeks before Christmas, we focus on the themes of hope and peace and joy and love, these practices that we need as we wait longingly for the arrival of Jesus' return. And that is where we get the word Advent from. It's the Latin word for arrival. And so if we look at the prophets, we see that they also are constantly telling their people, be prepared, a Messiah is coming. And part of what they waited for was the shalom that this Messiah was going to bring. These things that are broken will be fixed when the Messiah comes. And they also talked about how they were supposed to be prepared and that somebody was going to be sent to prepare the way. So we see this uh, prophecy in Isaiah chapter 40, and then we see that um, talked about in Luke chapter 3 when they talk about John the Baptist, about how he was going to be the one that prepared the way for the Messiah. And I just want to read that prophecy for us quickly. It, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley should be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough way smooth. And then he says, and all people will see God's salvation. So we want to remind ourselves every time we see that word all. And Luke, we see it a lot in the first several chapters. Last week we saw it when um, the angels show up and tell the shepherds that we have good news for all the people. And then Simeon, we talked last week how he sees the Messiah and says, this is the salvation for all people, both Gentiles and Jews. So Jesus makes room for us all. 
But that prophecy that we talk about um, when we talk about John the Baptist, it has a few meanings for us that I want us to look at. First of all, when at this time, when a king was coming to visit, there was preparations that had to be made. And one of those things that they did was prepare the roads, right? They filled in all the... Um, the potholes, they made them as smooth as they could, straightened up the road so that the king could have a smooth entry, right? And so that's kind of what is bringing to mind, that there's preparation involved. But it also is an image of for us of what shalom looks like, of what peace looks like, is that you fix what is broken and you make it whole. And that is some of the preparation that John the Baptist was called to do. And so when we look in Luke chapter 1, we see this angel shows up to a man named Zechariah, and he promises, the angel promises that Zechariah is going to have a son with his wife, Elizabeth, even though they are very old, and that they will have a child, and his name will be John, and he has a special purpose, that he is to go before the Messiah and to make ready to prepare the way for the Lord. And so I want us to look at what that looked like for John the Baptist because he's preparing the way. He is fixing what is broken. He is a peacemaker, and in some ways he is very disruptive to what is going on. And so he does what the prophets do. He calls the people to repent. If they were preparing the way for the Messiah to come, that they are supposed to repent of their behavior. And so this, they're like, what should we do? What should we do? And it says in Luke chapter 3, verse 11, these are the things that John says they should do. John answers, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And then tax collectors came to be baptized. And tax collectors, you know, at the time, they were Jews who were working for the Roman government, and they were kind of taking advantage of their own people. And so they were hated because they are taking advantage. They are hurting their people and um, using the power of the Roman government to do it. And so the tax collectors say, what should we do? And verse 13, it says, don't collect any more than you're required to. And then soldiers come up and they say, what should we do? And he says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And so here, this is what it looked like to repent and to be prepared for the Messiah. It meant to fix what you have broken. Fix those relationships that you have broken, that you have participated in taking advantage of, and um, people you have taken advantage of, that you are to be peacemakers now. And that means you fix what is broken. So that is part of what we do as well. And sometimes that means we will be disruptive, calling attention to things that are are broken in our society. And, and if we remain silent, that is, a that is a false peace, right? That isn't true peace. Being quiet isn't always peace. It's a false peace sometimes. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. Ellie Weissel, who is a Holocaust survivor, said, there may be times when we are powerless to prevent injustice, 
but there must never be a time when we fail to protest. Nelson Mandela said, as long as poverty, injustice, and gross inequality persists in our world, none of us can truly rest. So to bring awareness to the broken structures in our society, it is often disruptive. But that is the part of being a pacemaker. Another part of being a peacemaker is that sometimes it causes us pain and suffering. Last week we looked at how Jesus entered this world, and we said it was through childbirth. And I reminded us that childbirth always has some pain, some struggle, it's messy business, there's blood involved, and that is true for change as well. That is true for peace to come into the world, that it takes pain and suffering, and it takes um, blood sometimes and mess. That's what we see in Jeremiah's life. He's thrown into jail for speaking up against what's happening. He, he suffers physically and emotionally because he can't look away. He can't look away from what's happening around him. And if you look at John the Baptist's life, it doesn't end well for him either. He um, calls out Herod and how he is living. Uh, he marries his brother's wife. And so uh, one day Herod gets drunk, and he's watching his, his uh, stepdaughter dance in front of him, and he, he gives this drunken promise that she'll, he'll give her anything she wants. And so she goes to her mom and says, what, what should I ask for? And she says, John the Baptist's head on a plate. And that is why and how John the Baptist dies. You look in today, you look at Martin Luther King Jr. or Nelson Mandela's life, and there's pain and there is struggle and there is blood as a result of their peacemaking. And you look at how God brought peace between himself and mankind. And it took sacrifice, and it took pain, and it took blood, and it took death. It took Jesus' death. We were reminded again of in the video where it said in Ephesians 2.14 that he himself is our peace. That Jesus himself is our peace. That Jesus took what was broken and he made it whole through his own blood and sacrifice. Which kind of brings me back to um, that type of peace that I was taught as a child. That turn your other cheek peace. That um, be at peace with one another type of peace. And what I have learned is that both are the type of peace that God wants us to be. Both of them are a part of peacemaking. Sometimes we are called to be disruptive. At other times we are called to have humility and grace and extend that to other people. And luckily, we have that example of how we can do both and decide when to do both. Because Jesus, we see that in his life. He was disruptive to the status quo. You know, you see him in the temple, and he overthrows the, the tables and says, this is not peace. This is not okay. What is happening here? He's disruptive. He, he's disruptive with the Pharisees and says, um, what, the way you teach is not okay. The way you choose to treat people is not okay. And he's disruptive to people who were in power, and he knew would, he would be arrested because of it. And then other times we see him calm and let 
people cross boundaries, right? He tells Peter when he's arrested, um, don't fight back. And we see him at the courts, and he isn't fighting back. Even though he is innocent, he doesn't fight back. And then we see him with all of these different people that his um, gender, his religion, should have kept him separated from these people. They were the enemies. And oftentimes they're people that he knows they are doing things that are wrong. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um, women he wasn't supposed to be that close with. Samaritans he should have been separated from. Tax collectors, they were wrong. Roman military officials, they were the enemy. And yet he treats them with humility and grace and extends consideration and sees them as people. He's that balance of being disruptive and other times stepping back and being gracious and letting people live the way that they're living. And so that is the struggle for us. How do we stand up for injustice and how do we also know what the time to kind of step back? and let people um, extend grace to them and show humility, right? So I, I have noticed over the years that um, oftentimes we are good at one or the other, or we're better at one than the other, right? Um, so uh, for me, you know, I struggle with standing up for injustice out loud and, and for myself and for others around me. I don't like to cause conflict. Anything that is conflict, I don't want, you know, can we just, can we just be quiet? And, and, um, but I know that that's false peace, but I, and I will settle for, for, self, for false peace sometimes because I, I want that more than I want conflict, personally. But I also um, like to get along with everybody, all right? That's something, extending grace to other people. I see that that can be easier for some than others. Um, the verse, Romans 12, 18, that says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, right? That is the motto that I was raised with, right? And sometimes that is really easier for some people than others, right? They just kind of roll that way in life. And then for others, I see you. I see you standing up for injustice. It is a part of who you are. It just comes naturally to you. So much so that you will make yourself sick being silent when you know what is right and to speak out against it. But perhaps um, you find yourself in conflict, often with friends or family. Um, that idea of turning the other cheek, it just doesn't seem like an option ever. Like, when does that really come into play, right? And so all of us um, kind of lean, uh, things are a little easier one way or the other. And this idea that we're supposed to be both is a challenge, right? It's hard. And that's the thing about being a Christian. It is hard work. It is hard work. If you ever think to yourself, I, you know, it's pretty easy right now. You are doing something wrong. <laughs> right? Because it's never, it never is coasting. It's hard, hard work. And so um, that's why we got to be peacemakers. We have to do some hard work. And we have to do some hard work of looking in the scripture and seeing what peace means throughout the scripture. You can't just pick one verse and say, oh, I'm going to make this work for every situation. No, the Bible is vast. And you have to kind of really understand what God is doing throughout all of scripture. 
And it's also why the Holy Spirit is just so important for us. It's so important that we um, know that the Holy Spirit is our guide along with Scripture, that we are present with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is guiding us in these situations when we do we speak up or do we extend grace, that we need to be led by the Holy Spirit, telling us what choice to make. And it also means that we have to do some hard work on ourselves um, and, and understand ourselves, um, understand our personalities and how um, that comes into play with the choices that we make. Because I think that some of how we are wired has to do with our personalities, right? Just how God made us. Some of it is a result of how, what family we grew up in, the culture we come from. Um, sometimes I think it has to do with our gender or our race, what society says our role is and what peace looks like for us. And so we have to be aware and do the hard work of understanding how that all plays a role in the choices we make. And for me personally, this last week, the Enneagram has been enormously helpful for me. It's um, this ancient personality assessment that teaches you your personality and how it tends to react negatively um, when you're in conflict or when you are stressed. And uh, so that has been very helpful for me because um, you might be surprised that my personality, my, I'm a six, and we don't like conflict. Um, and so uh, I have to test, oftentimes the choice I'm always going to kind of go to is the thing with less conflict. Is that really what God wants for me, or is it just what's comfortable for me? We also have to do the hard work of looking at our family and its upbringing and how that plays a role in the choices we make. And that oftentimes is hard, painful work. But it's so important to be peacemakers. And that's why we keep talking about the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Skills class because it's one of the ways we look at how um, our families play a role in that, how uh, the churches we were raised in play a role in that, teachers, how those things play a role in how we deal with conflict with one another. Do we settle for false peace? Or do we um, know how to have boundaries with one another and to speak and to heal when things are broken? And so that is why it is important for us to parent ourselves and remind, do the hard work that says, I know who I am and I know when my, my mom's words are in my head or my personality type is in my head or when the Holy Spirit is in my head saying, speak up. Do something. Don't speak. Stay silent. We need to do that work. So this Advent teaching series is called Make Room. Because when we make room for others, it always costs us something, right? Even if somebody says, hey, can you scoot over a little bit? You're making room. And that costs you something. But it costs us a lot in society to make things whole. It means that we have to give up the ways that we benefit personally from the brokenness in our society. And I imagine that all of us do in some way or another. And for people of privilege, and there are all types of privilege that are present here today, for people of privilege, making room will cost us something. Because peace takes sacrifice. It will take sacrifice and changing our ways and speaking up 
about things that are broken? Are we willing to make the sacrifices it will take to make this world whole? When Jesus called us to a path of being peacemakers, it wasn't an easy path. And so we hope for the day when all things will be fixed, all things will be made whole again, and true shalom will reign when Jesus returns. But until that day, we work to make that possible here. We fix what is broken. We speak up about things that are not yet whole. And so this morning, I just want us to close with an Advent hymn that I was introduced to just this year for the first time. Um, it's a beautiful hymn, and um, it, it's on uh, Josh Gerald's new Christmas uh, CD. It's one of my family's favorites. And so I'm just going to read the lyrics to the song. Um, they'll be on the slides as well for you. And I just want you to kind of contemplate these words and let them be our prayer this morning. Let's pray. O day of peace that dimly shines through all our hopes and prayers and dreams. Guide us to justice, truth, and love delivered from our selfish schemes. May swords of hate fall from our hands, our hearts from envy find release, till by God's grace our warring world shall see Christ's promised reign of peace. Amen. <laughs>